Welcome once again to Radio in Vivo, your link to the Triangle Science community here on WCOMLP Chapel Hill and Carborough. This is Ernie Hood. I am a freelance science writer, and each week here on the program, we bring you cutting-edge information about what's going on in science here in the Triangle area, one of the world's leading hubs of scientific research, development, and innovation. You can email us at radioinvivo at earthlink.net, and you can access a full archive of our hundreds of past programs at radioinvivo.net. The Burroughs Welcome Fund is a Golden Voices underwriter here on WCLM and Radio in Vivo. The Burroughs Welcome Fund supports excellence in science education across North Carolina. The fund believes that providing students with engaging and interactive curriculum helps to spark curiosity for careers in science, mathematics, and technology. You can learn about education grant opportunities for North Carolina schools and teachers at www.bwfund.org. Radio In Vivo is underwritten by Chapel Hill Eye Care, located at 235 South Elliott Road in Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill Eye Care provides comprehensive eye care to people of all ages. Healthy eyes for a lifetime. Chapel Hill Eye Care, 919-968-4774. Radio In Vivo is also underwritten by the Triangle Center for Evolutionary Medicine, or TRISEM, a nonprofit center exploring the intersection of evolutionary science and medicine. TRISEM is jointly operated by Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, North Carolina State University, and North Carolina Central University. TRISEM is an incubator that promotes innovative development in the theory and practice of evolutionary medicine by fostering cross-disciplinary collaborations among triangle-based scholars, physicians, public health workers, and more. Radio in Vivo is supported by NC State University's Genetic Engineering and Society, or GES Center. The GES Center works to integrate scientific knowledge and public values shaping the futures of biotechnology. Positioned at the nexus of science and technology, social sciences, and humanities, the center engages in collaborative research, education, and engagement by generating knowledge and fostering balanced and inclusive dialogue around emerging genetic engineering technologies and its products. Learn more by visiting GES Center website, research.ncsu.edu GES, and follow them on Twitter at GES Center NCSU. Finally, Radio and Vivo is underwritten by Gene Centric Therapeutics Incorporated of Research Triangle Park. Gene Centric is pioneering the advanced classification of cancers for more effective drug development and more accurate diagnosis and treatment of patients through its core technology, the Cancer Subtype Platform. More information is available at genecentric.com. WCOM and Radio and Vivo thank this terrific group of underwriters for their support. This week on Radio and Vivo, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming to the microphones a young woman who has already distinguished herself in science, academia, and the world of business. Under the tutelage of her mentor, Dr. Diami Lopez, Quantil Melendez earned her Ph.D. in Integrated Biosciences, in 2017, 
from the Bright Institute at North Carolina Central University, where she is continuing her postdoctoral work. More importantly for our purposes, she and Dr. Lopez have together founded a startup biotech company called NIFP Technologies, LLC, to commercialize their research on a gene and protein involved in cholesterol known as PKCS9. Quanto is the CEO of the company. In addition to her doctoral degree from NC Central, she received her master's degree from North Carolina A&T University in 2012, which followed her BS in biology from St. Augustine's University in Raleigh in 2010. Quanto Melendez, welcome to Radio In Vivo. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, before we make a deep dive into the science behind PC, PC, I'm going to (laughs) be able to pronounce this before it's over, PCSK9, which I assure you we will do. Yes. Uh, I'd like to get to know you a little (laughs) bit better. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to where you are today. Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) I never see myself as being that interesting of a person. I'm just a scientific nerd, (laughs) for lack of better (laughs) words, that, you know, chose the right path. Um, Well, you're you're (laughs) awfully young, and you're a Ph.D. and a CEO. Yeah. (laughs) That's worth talking about. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm originally from New York. Um, My family is from the Bronx. I grew up in Long Island. I graduated high high school in Long Island, um, Center Reach in Long Island. Mm -hmm. And um, my family is traditionally, um, my roots are North Carolina, Eastern Carolina. Um, It's a small little town called Little Washington, right outside of Greenville. Sure. (laughs) And so I wanted to kind of come back to where my roots were, so I decided to come back to college in North Carolina, and I matriculated here for all three of my degrees. Never really intended on doing three degrees. I just always knew that I wanted to be a doctor of Mm -hmm. some fashion. And I I found it interesting that that you actually attended three different HBCUs. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that was also unplanned. Okay, okay. But uh, but the opportunities arose and um, and I was granted funding for my degree. So um, out of 11 years of schooling, I only paid for three of them. Wow. And uh, and it just everything worked out in the best way possible for me to be able to be successful academically um, to get to this point. And um, and I'm very proud to be a triple HBCU alumnus. So uh, Aggie pride. Suit, suit, Mighty Falcons, Eagle Pride. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, today, now, I am a acting chief executive officer of a new biotech company and, um, and also a, a doctoral scholar. And um, I'm very proud. I'm very honored. Um, it was a very uh, unorthodox journey to get here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started my doctorate with my daughter. Uh, she was seven days old when I started my doctorate. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so um, she kind of has uh, also matriculated with me. She attended classes a lot of times because I breastfed. Mm-hmm. And um, so for the first two years, it was a little rough. It was a little rocky. But uh, we made it through and we got through in uh, the program is projected to be a five-year program the imbs program at north carolina central and we actually finished in four wow okay so um so it was it was rough (laughs) 
but um but my mentor I had a great mentor she knew she believed in me she had confidence in me that I could do it that I could uh that I could make it to the next level and and when she actually offered me the position it was a couple of months before commencement or before my defense actually and she said you know I know that you have a clinical research aspiration um or a clinical research affinity I would like for you to think more of um of taking on a business role, however, how would you feel about, you know, being the CEO of the company, being that really you birthed it, everything in the company is from your research. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was I was taken aback, I was really in shock at first. I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't know any 29 year olds that are CEOs of anything. <laughs> so <laughs> right. uh, are you sure you wanna take this chance? Well, I wanted to ask you also about your, your experiences uh, Coming in as a as a pharmacy technician yeah. at CVS for seven years, yeah. and a technician at LabCorp yeah. for a couple of years, yeah. uh, has that level of experience in the real world outside the lab uh, helped you in your your research and now business pursuits? Um, yes, it definitely put what I do into perspective for me because I got a chance to, like I said, I have a clinical affinity. So um, being a pharmacy tech, I was able to be a retail pharmacy tech and then I was given the privilege to be a um, inpatient hospital pharmacy tech for Wesley Long, UNC, and for Duke University. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I still have affiliations because of that with Duke University, which has forged some collaboration. So really that, um, that job title put me into a position to be able to create other opportunities outside of just being a pharmacy technician when I was moving to the next level. So now I have great collaborations with people at Duke and um, some collaborations with people at UNC because of the work ethic that I had pre- in previous years. And were you doing all that at the uh, while you were in school? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> and with a young an, yes. An infant. <laughs> oh, I'm, yes. I'm exhausted just talking to you. <laughs> uh, well, Quantel, tell us a little bit more about uh, Dr. Lopez. Oh gosh. Uh, it, it certainly seems like she has been a wonderful mentor for you, as you've gone from being her research assistant to her business partner. Yes. Uh, Dr. Lopez, I try not to cry when I talk about her because she's such an amazing person. Um, People really, um, because she's so meek and mild and quiet, they tend to overlook her, her virtue and, and the genuine love for people that she has. But outside of the love for people, she loves what she does. She's passionate about science. Mm -hmm. She's passionate about helping make things better she's passionate about solving problems and that passion fuels my passion because i have a craving for science i have a passion for science as well so we were kind of like a match made in heaven for each other that that were distant for so long that kind of found ourselves to each other Mm -hmm. at the right time in the right place and she's really just an amazing mentor she truly cares about her students she's she's not just a a professor who's just trying to get papers published that's trying to get funding she wants to see us succeed she wants to make sure that we make it to the highest level that we have the potential to make it to and she's going to do everything in our power to make sure that we get there regardless of what it takes out of her however however tired she is she has a, a huge family just two kids a husband a dog and she still manages on her off time on the weekend she'll email us she'll text us she'll call us to make sure that everything is in order for us, not for her. Because even though her name is on these papers that we sign to, to walk across these stages and to get these degrees and these accolades, it's ultimately us that have to 
carry on past that point without her. And um, she makes sure that we're ready. She's a dynamic mentor. She fuels us and fosters the readiness into us. And we're all highly appreciative as all of her students. I think I can speak for us all that have come up from under her. We're very appreciative for what she has done for us and how the sciences that she has made us. Well, that, that, that was a wonderful tribute. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you are certainly blessed to have uh, had a mentor like that. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's not a given. No. You know, <laughs> I, I know some instances where, you know, people have had theoretical mentors who really were more interested in mentoring themselves. Yes. You know, I, I, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, it's not a sure thing. Yeah. So it's it's wonderful that you've had that opportunity. Yeah. That will serve you well for the rest of your career and your life. It will. Um, well, what has the, the transition uh, from grad student to CEO of a startup <laughs> been like for you? How, how has your life changed? Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, a, it's less sleepless nights, I will say that. As a grad student, sleep is uh, a memory for you. You you really, vacations, holidays, none of that exists for you as a grad student. Now, as um, as a business associate of the company um, and outside of grad school, I actually get to enjoy my family a little bit more. I get a little bit more time with my daughter. I sacrificed a lot of years in school to, to give her the best life. And how so old is she now? She's uh, She just turned five on Thursday. Oh, what, a, what a great age. <laughs> I know. We're so excited. We're going to kindergarten. So um, we sacrificed a lot of years. And now Dr. Lopez has given me a position and given me the time to be a mother the way that I always envisioned being a mother due to the sacrifices that I made as a student. Um, she, it's really been um, a, a pleasant transition. At first, it was a little hard because I'm not a business person. I don't know much about business. So trying to get acclimated into the business field of the company was kind of hard for me. And to um, increase my level of writing, I had to really take my writing to another level. Mm -hmm. That was a bit of a challenge for me. Um, but now we're almost uh, six, seven months into the company, and um, and it's becoming a little bit easier over time. And that's what I'm growing to know. I'm also growing to uh, understand that I need to utilize the resources that I come into contact with to make things easier for me. So with me doing those two things, with me kind of taking time and adjusting to the position as well as utilizing my resources, the transition is becoming a little bit easier. But it's a lot of writing, and it's a lot of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, how have you um, been able to develop your business skills? Um, I've actually just got thrown in the deep yeah. end. And so <laughs> I actually, it out. I'm I'm really kind of a stepwise process person right now. Um, I'm figuring out as I go. I'm encountering. Uh, entities unbeknownst to me I, I didn't expect to really run into a lot of the individuals that have solicited their help to us um, the dean of the business school in North Carolina Central University a lot of board of trustee members for the UNC Board of Governors and the North Carolina Central Board of Trustees um, have also extended their arm and um, and with those um, specific entities that that's just a limited amount I mean the list goes on with all of the help that really has reached out to provide been provided to me sure. for the company but um, but with those individuals, I'm grasping 
small bits and pieces of how to conduct uh, appropriate business and also how to run an effective and efficient company. We also had a um, our first company that came out of Bright, which was Curl Bio. Um, I've actually been able to you know communicate with the CEO of that company, who actually was a research scientist at North Carolina Central University as well. And um, that company came from Dr. Johnny Sexton, and he hired her as his CEO. And I guess Dr. Lopez took a page out of his book and kind of saw like, okay, this could work, so let me try it. And, uh, and just picking her brain and always having that resource, it has helped me transition into the appropriate position of a chief executive officer of any biotech company. So NIF hopefully um, has, you know, good hands that they're being held in right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure there's no doubt about that. Well, Quantel, let's turn our attention now to the substance that you and Dr. Lopez have been working on called PCSK9. Yes. Uh, what exactly is PCSK9 and why is it so important to our health? Great question. So PCSK9 is a protein that's responsible for how cholesterol is internalized um, within your body. The issue with PCSK9 that has um, been seen in a lot of cases um, is that the um, the protein itself tends to degrade the receptor that's responsible for um, taking up the cholesterol in your body. So when that receptor is not available, you can't, um, you can't eradicate or break down cholesterol effectively and it builds up in your arteries, causing different diseases like hypercholesterolemia and more so um, atherosclerosis, which is one of the leading causes of death um, and heart attack and stroke. Sure. So um, we decided to take on this project due to um, Dr. Lopez's affinity with PCSK9. She's worked with it in her grad school um, research. So um, our laboratory focuses a lot on metabolic diseases because PCSK9 is the root of most metabolic diseases. And um, the issue that we're really trying to combat right now, um, primarily in the company, is the uh, mismanagement of therapeutic treatment. So a lot of patients have um, disruptions with their PCSK9 gene that codes for the actual protein. When they're treated with generalized medicine, a lot of these patients are um, are developing type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So when I say generalized medicine, I'm referring to statins. Um, all, and there's a plethora of statins that you can choose from. And a lot of physicians kind of go for the, the hot ones on the market. Right. But what they're not, what they're failing to do um, is uh, genetic testing for these patients. And these particular patients are more so in need of genetic testing than, than other patients due to the fact that, um, that they're more prone for additional disease acquisition later on down the line with with generalized statin treatment and also um they're also developing different side effects because of the generalized treatment like myopathy and, and different um muscle strifes mm -hmm. so we're really just trying to give a liaison to alternative options to be able to solve that issue and also advocate more for genetic testing. So we've actually created a diagnostics tool that will give cheaper genetic testing, simpler genetic testing for um, for those uh, metabolic disease patients, cardiovascular disease patients prior to treatment. And also the really cool thing about our test is that our test actually has become a pre-predictive method for being able to determine what drug will work for which patient prior to giving the patient the drug. So that's what we're really excited about, the fact that we can um, finally decipher before placing these drugs into the systems of humans 
where they what will happen um, and what will be the best outcome. And that'll save a lot of time, a lot of money. It'll stop the trial and error process. And um, and hopefully, you know, the insurance companies can get on board with us and start allowing these patients to take the appropriate drugs that they need for the best life. So it's PCSK9 mutations that are responsible for the development of several of the metabolic yes. diseases you've des- described. And the, the tests that you all have developed detects those, those mutations, yes. right? And, and, that's and we are the first group to be able to detect those mutations in a diagnostics assay form. So, um, so we're very, we have patent, um, we have filed for patent, um, um, we're actually, we should be receiving the approval any day now. But, um, but we're really excited because no one has ever been able to, to um, identify the functionality of PCSK9 and correlate it to therapeutic treatment response. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. And that, that's. Crucial. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, I understand that individual diagnosis, I- in this case, uh, up to now at least, uh, has been limited by the expense and time required uh, to use existing methods for identifying these mutations. Yes. Which, you know, you can sequence somebody's genome and yeah. figure all this out, but it's still quite expensive yes. uh, to do so and not certainly not... A common clinical practice at this yet. Yes. You know, maybe another 10 years down the road. Yes. Uh, so what are the uh, existing methods that your method is, is disrupting? So um, the expense really is um, one of the big uh, issues that we're really combating. Our, che- our tests are cheaper and they're faster. Um, it's a simple blood test where with the current genetic testing, it's a panel of things that you have to go through in order to get um, the adequate results that you need to really confirm if a patient um, should be subcategorized as different levels of hypercholesterolemia or different metabolic syndrome patients should be categorized in such a manner. So we've been able to provide a tool that will do this at a much faster rate and a much cheaper rate and uh, and at a higher functionality because we're able to um, we're able to give information on the activity of PCSK9 and um, and that alone will tell a lot of physicians what direction what avenue to take with therapeutic treatment um, prescriptions and regimens um, sometimes it's not just about giving the most the the most common statin and hoping for the best there there are some dress there are some situations where they require you to take things to a more um, genetic step and a genetic analysis route. Uh, <laughs> looking at the kids at the window. That's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> they, um, there has not been a big um, availability for the genetic testing because of the expense. And there's been a very big tug of war with the insurance companies, physicians, and patients where um, there's a criteria, extensive uh, preliminary criteria that you also have to, uh, you also have to fall into. You have to have at least one family member to be tested positive before you can be a candidate for receiving genetic testing. Only one out of 500 familiar hypercholesterolemic patients are actually even tested. So that makes the odds very slim for people to even be candidates for genetic testing outside of the fact that the test is uh, about three or four thousand dollars so our test is running about three or four hundred dollars so (laughs) hopefully um 
the the medical community will see that we're trying to provide uh, them some type of refuge for resolving the problem, not trying to overshadow the genetic testing because the genetic testing that's currently out now is very extensive and um, is very efficient once it's completed. However, I think that right now we need something a little bit faster and a little bit cheaper mm -hmm. um, to get to the initial problem so that we can get to the next problem. Absolutely makes sense. Uh, so do, do you all have a, a laboratory set up yet at this point uh, yes. for this? Yes, we have a running laboratory um, at North Carolina Central University in the Bright Institute. Okay. We have um, a full functioning um, laboratory with a lot of gizmos and gadgets. We have everything from flow cytometers to, um, and I mean like top of the, top of the art, high grade um, technology in the building. So we have high throughput screening at the facility. So we have access to a lot of different entities, um, biological, biotechnology, biotechnological entities, and um, and a lot of research and development tools. So we've been able to um, to to produce and manufacture our kits there. Um, and we're also doing research and development on novel novel drugs for um, for those patients that are not responding to statins appropriately or cannot afford the PCSK9 inhibitors, which are the expensive drugs on the market, but they work really well. So, well, let's let's talk about that a little <laughs> bit because uh, I, you know, when I was first researching uh, about you guys and your company, yeah, um, I came across PCSK9 and. It didn't. It didn't ring a bell until yeah. I started getting into it yeah. and realized that this was the uh, gene that came to public attention mm -hmm. a few years ago with the approval of a couple of the uh, PCSK9 inhibitors, yeah. uh, which were uh, touted to usher in a new age of treatment yeah. for high cholesterol, but. Come to find out, it wasn't quite that simple, was it? No. <laughs> um, I completely support PCSK9 inhibitors, um, Rapathas, the the newest one that has dropped, Aluacumab. Um, these are really great drugs for um, cardiovascular disease patients. Um, they they help patients not. Um, venture over into other metabolic syndrome states, um, such as um, acquiring diabetes or progressing in diabetes. It actually helps with regression in some aspects, in some cases. Um, but the issue is the expense of them. And the only reason why they're so expensive is because they're humanized, um, meaning like they're, um, they're made in other, other animals and having to be um, genetically engineered to be accepted by the human body. Okay. And, mm -hmm. um, and that creates a bit of an expense to be able to do that. So it, it elevates the price of the drug on the market. And also um, the insurance companies want prior authorization for these patients to even acquire these drugs, which requires the physician to go through a series of questionnaires and, um, and, a, um, and the patient to go through a series of different tests. And, and then we go back to the genetic testing situation. A lot of patients don't qualify for the genetic testing because they don't have all of the preliminary qualifications with the family member being tested mm -hmm. and with uh, showing different um, uh, uh, different symptoms of different uh, other metabolic syndrome stages. And, um, and those things really inhibit patients from getting one of the best options on the market right now for them. So, um, so with that being known, 
we decided to also not just give a, a remedy for being able to use those drugs. Our diagnostics tool is not only centered just to tell patients, um, tell physicians which patients qualify for which drugs um, or which patients will respond appropriately to which drugs, but also to qualify them for those drugs so that now the prior authorization process isn't so stringent so that you don't have to go through as many hoops and jumps and bounds in the three ring circus to get the appropriate drug for you. Yes, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but you have adequate results and analysis to show you right here in a fast and a cheap manner that this patient needs this drug. They're not going to be able to tolerate anything else to be able to have a viable life. And um, Well, one of the, the big issues with the statins has been that there are quite a few people who cannot tolerate them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's why they have to change every so years, every mm -hmm. so few years. They'll they'll be on one statin for about two or three years, and they have to change to something else, and then be on that one for a few years and have to change. And really, it's like a tr like I said, it's a trial and error process because sometimes it it's only a couple of months, and then they realize, you know, this one's not working for this patient. Their LDL levels aren't really going where we need them to go. Yeah. Let's try something else. So instead of doing all of that, we've great we've created a tool for you to not have to do that anymore, guys. So now you have something that'll save you some time, some energy, and um, and the patients some money. I mean, I know that that's really not the big thing in big pharma, you know, to save patients money. <laughs> but um, but you'll come out better on the end with having a patient pay for their appropriate drug for a continuous basis versus having them pay for other multiple drugs mm -hmm. and being unsatisfied. This sounds so much like this, this similar situation with antidepressants. Yes. Uh, I, I've done quite a bit of work for a company that actually markets a genetic test for antidepressants. Yeah. So many of the issues that you're talking about are very, very similar yes. to that, which is a little bit further down the road than you guys. Yeah. But uh, uh, hopefully we'll offer a good model to you. Yeah. About how to how to go forward. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll share that with you off mic. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you are listening to Radio In Vivo, and my guest today is Dr. Quantil Melendez, and she is CEO of NIFP Technologies in Chapel Hill. Well, uh, Quantil, what originally led you and Dr. Lopez to? Uh, pursue your research on PCSK9. Uh, I understand that health disparities actually played a role. Yes. So our institution is um, a heavy health disparities institution. So um, a lot of the research that goes on at North Carolina Central is health disparities based. And um, due to the fact that a high um, minority concentration um, of patients have been the culprits of culminating these diseases, um, it really kind of influenced our aspiration to um, find these particular cures and these particular outlets and avenues for them. Um, our our basis in our lab is um, metabolic syndrome. Um, however, our umbrella is cardiovascular disease for health disparities. So, um, so with that, we we research a plethora of things from um, health disparities in breast cancer, health disparities in um, prostate cancer, health disparities, and and this is not just within our lab. This is within our institution sure. um, and our collaborators. Um, so we, we really touch on just about any and everything that you can think of in North Carolina Central Health Disparities based in any disease and any cancer. I see. that That's excellent and laudable work. Yeah. Uh, and we certainly need a lot more of that. Yeah. Uh, well, I know that um, in your research, 
you looked at epigenetic regulation of yeah. PCSK9 and the onset of metabolic diseases in diverse ethnic mm-hmm. groups. Uh, what did you find? Yes, well, thankfully, with the help of TRISIM, I am a TRISIM graduate oh, okay. fellow. <laughs> we, we love TRISIM. Yes, we do. Um, and I want to say congratulations to Melissa Maynes, who actually is starting her PhD at Northwestern. Um, we're going to miss you, but we hope you much success. And um, with the um, help of funding from them, mm-hmm. we were actually able to investigate different small nucleotide polymorphisms, which are um, basically like small mutations and um, that really determine the function of a particular protein at the end of the day, as well as DNA methylation patterns, which really determines if how a gene turns on and turns off during certain environments and certain, um, certain situations, certain conditions. And those conditions that we were evaluating were different ethnicities um, how do how do these genes turn on and off and what mutations are causing these genes to turn on and off in different populations as far as the african-american population the caucasian american population and um, and we actually did some cell line investigations which is basically just bench top lab base um, with um, Asian cell lines, um, looking into how the epigenetics affect um, PCSK, the epigenetic effects of PCSK9 and those as well. Mm -hmm. However, in the African American and Caucasian American population, we were able to look at the um, at human samples to see how they actually um, how they're actually being uh, functioned, how they're functioning in human samples. And um, we were doing some clinical trials with Dr. Kimbrough and um, Dr. Clarlinda Williams-Devane at um, North Carolina Central University. And we're also partnering now where we should be receiving our shipment of samples from Fort Bragg Womax Clinic. And um, and we're able to, uh, with the um, Diabetic Family Project that we were collaborating with Dr. Kimbrough and Dr. Williams-Devane, we were able to acquire about 500 human samples to be able to create an analysis to show that um, African-American populations tend to um, vary more towards having type 1 diabetes in um and be more statin intolerant mm-hmm. when and type one is hereditary. Yes, right? yes, mm-hmm. and be more statin intolerant um, when they have um, PCSK9 mutations, and their PCSK9 mutations more, look more so like a loss of function. And with Caucasian Americans, um, they seem to be more statin resistant, and um, they seem to have um, they seem to lean more so towards having type two diabetes when men, when being treated with statins because of their resistance. Um, the type one diabetes in African Americans is due to being treated with statins and them being statin intolerant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the type two diabetes acquisition is the Caucasian American population being treated with. For statistically, from our data, we show that. Um, it seems to be um, them being treated with statins and being statin resistant and developing type 2 diabetes because of that. So the issue that we really have to understand um, is that when we're treating these patients who have statin intolerance and statin resistance, we're inducing the diabetic condition of these patients. So we need to figure out how to prevent that induction. Absolutely. And and I, I would assume that the, the analysis of the individual's PCSK9 yeah. profile yeah. I- is what can yield that type of information. Yes, yes. Uh, well, tell us more about the, the diagnostic test <gasps> that you and Dr. Lopez have developed. 
which has led to the establishment of your company. Yes, this is our baby, our Mecca, uh, our world, so to speak, right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We've worked really, really hard on this diagnostics tool. Um, It's been probably about seven years of work to um, to create this tool and to optimize it um, for human and clinical use. Um, our test is finally available for research bases and we have clinical validation um, data to show that it is ready for clinical use as well. We're in the process of revising our clinical validation manuscript and um, resubmitting it to the um, Journal of lipidology or it might be the journal of biochemistry and biomedical i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. um i'll have the information a little um a little bit later but um but we have created a tool that has the ability to show how much pcsk9 is in a patient's blood um and the purpose for this is pcsk9 like i said in the beginning is responsible for attaching to the cholesterol receptor that's responsible for internalizing the bad cholesterol in your body. And once it, um, once it binds to that receptor, it helps it go inside of the liver cells and be degraded. And the normal process is that, you know, cholesterol binds to this, bad cholesterol binds to this receptor. It goes inside of the liver cells and it releases the cholesterol into um, a little pocket or a little vessel called a lysosome where it's de- the cholesterol is degraded, but it releases the receptor to go back to the cell surface to collect more bad cholesterol to restart the process. So the issue with PCSK9 is that it's preventing that release of the receptor back to the cell surface and we're being depleted of receptors at our liver cell surface and um and our test is showing how much of that pcsk9 um is in the entire bloodstream and you need to know that information first in order to understand how to move to the next steps so once you can see how much pcsk9 is there now you need to understand well of all of this pcsk9 that's in the blood how much of it is actually going to bind to the receptor and cause this issue? So now we've created a, um, a secondary part to our kit that will determine the functionality of that PCSK9 that's in the blood, that, that's being um, measured in the blood. So with, that, um, with those two values, we can create a ratio to show um, a gain of function or a loss of function of PCSK9 because you can have a whole lot of PCSK9 but half of it not be functional. And then you could have a little bit of PCSK9 and all of it be super active. Mm -hmm. So um, those two issues need to be identified first before you treat a patient. So we created a tool that can identify what those um, those two functions are in human samples. With that, we can now impose drugs into these human samples to see how PCSK9 is going to interact with these drugs on in, in their environment now. And it will show, our test will show whether PCSK9 values will rise or whether PCSK9 values will drop. Now, the issue is that we, do, we don't want to deplete PCSK9 because PCSK9 has a lot of beneficial factors. Like it's very involved in liver regeneration and regeneration of other cells within the body, like the brain. Um, it, and it's been shown that with depletion of PCSK9 in the brain, um, Alzheimer's disease rises. So um, let's not go there. No, 
<laughs> so we want to keep PCS. We want to keep an, an adequate amount of PCSK9 within the blood serum um, or, with, or flowing within the blood um, to be of, of excess to the body. But what we don't want is too much PCSK9 to overpower the cholesterol pathway. Um, so it's about finding that e- that fine balance between how much is too much and um, and also not only just knowing the concentration of PCSK9, but how much active um, or functional PCSK9 do we need to have in the system in order for everything to operate appropriately. So our test gives you a, um, a range of where PCSK9 should be, whether it's gain of function or loss of function, basically uh, overactive or underactive, where your PCSK9 levels should be um, or your ratio should be in order for you to have appropriate um, cholesterol metabolism. And with that with that value, if you impose drugs into the system, you can adjust to see how to get that value, that ratio to the right level. So what drug will give you the appropriate ratio of PCSK9 um, concentration to function and that will give you the appropriate um, environment for cholesterol metabolism in that patient. So uh, the, the test is able to actually, in essence, suggest uh, or point to the right uh, yes. clinical treatment? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I appreciate that explanation. It was, it was very well put. But it sounds like you've got a lot of education to do <laughs> out there in the clinical world. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of work still ahead of us um, to convince the medical community that our test can really do what we're propo- what we're saying that it can do, uh, and that's part of the reason why we're publishing so many papers now. So we have three papers um, in the pipeline that are that are scheduled to be released soon. So um, so hopefully with the um, with the recognition of our publications, the, the scientific and medical community can understand the basis of our test and what is provided and what it can do mm-hmm. um, statistically. And with that um, with that credit, the um, the test really can start to grow legs on its own and be accept, be more widely accepted um, and put into more um, higher use. But more so we really would like for um scientists to to understand the methodology of our test so that they can use it to further education of science as well absolutely well you must be spending a lot of your time in that realm uh going to conferences i assume yes and uh, meeting and greeting and a lot of handshaking oh yes i feel like the president (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Quantel, tell us more about the development of the assay itself. Okay. Uh, How challenging was it scientifically? Oh, gosh. It was so much like, uh, now I'm going back into my my graduate mindset. Um, It was like one day it would work and one day it wouldn't work. And then one time it would work with this reagent. And then we get a a new batch of, a lot batch of reagents. It doesn't work anymore. And it's like, ah, but, um, but that's science, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes in working December, that doesn't, that only work uh, in December and not in June. So it's like, you have to do this only in in, in the winter because in the summer it's not going to work anymore. But, um, so developing the assay was a lot of, um, uh, 
asset, uh, alternative asset development. So we had to develop our own turbidity assay to validate um, the assay. We had to develop our own um, clinical validation assays, uh, which we uh, did so with the help of Dr. Kimbrough and Dr. Williams Devane. And, um, and it was just a lot of different fine tuning. We had to use different reagents to see if um, the same uh, the same chemicals from different manufacturers or um, different lots would still produce the same outcome so that when we decide to package these things and send them out to the masses that we're not sending them things that might not work with a different manufacturer. Um, we're also we also had to make sure that um, that we were able to um, have a backup plan to if our manufacturers were not available to us, which happened often. Really? Um, yeah, we had a lot of back order situations often. So now we're, con we're currently in the method of, um, or we're currently in the stream of genetically engineering our own antibodies so that we do not have to outsource to um, outside manufacturers. And this is also going to make our test even more cheaper than what it actually is being priced at right now. Um, so that will um, be a new optimization to the test coming in the next six to eight months. But um, just putting the test together was um, was a piece by piece situation. We first had to confirm the total assay, which a lot of scientists have done the total PCSK9 assay. Um, they do it scientifically uh, for for research bases. And so that was that was easier to do because it's a lot of literature out on it and we were able to have a good guideline for how to construct a, the total part. But the functionality part is where we really had issues because it, it's never been done before. So we really had to, um, we had to genetically engineer a lot of the components for it um, outright before we could um, impose the um or collab combine the two tests together to make um the the ratio quote unquote um uh, profile for the kit mm -hmm. and um and now we've been able to shoot to successfully identify all of the antibodies needed for the for the kits and um and also be able to successfully package and manufacture the kits for distribution i see well uh it sounds like you've really done a lot of fine tuning over the last several years. Yeah. Uh, so what led you and Dr. Lopez uh, to ultimately conclude that this was an uh, appropriate vehicle for commercialization mm -hmm. uh, as a spinoff from Bright? Um, well, the uh, the basis of Bright um, in general is to create um, uh, scientists who venture well beyond academia. So Bright influences um, professors to take their ideas and their technology to the next level, whether it's um, selling it to companies or creating a company themselves. They really influence um, the, the, the faculty and staff there to do so. So um, I know Dr. Lopez had aspirations of having a company, but it was never kind of like a, a reality of it happening in the near future until um, different entities at the institution and different entities um, outside and at different conferences kind of came together and helped her formulate the appropriate platform for building a company. And, um, and that's really how NIF Technologies were 
came about. Um, the the institution themselves kind of pushed um, towards a direction because they saw the level of um, breakthrough science that she was doing in her lab with her with all of her research associates, with me as her grad student, um, Catherine. Catherine Wooten is one of our um, really, really powerful scientists that we have in our lab. Samari Ahmed, she's really, really strong, and they've really kind of stuck with us. And, um, and and really been the intricate members in making sure that this this test is um, solid. Mm-hmm. They, they've done a lot of the groundwork to make sure that this test is solid. So really launching uh, startups is, is part of Bright's mission. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. That's the basis of the of the department. Excellent. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit little bit about your company. Yeah. Now, you're pronouncing it NIF Technologies. Yes. Uh, it's actually N-I-F-P, mm-hmm. which is virtually unpronounceable. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for correcting me on that. What does the N-I-F-P stand for? Um, NIF Technologies stands for Novel Inhibitors for PCSK9. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should have been able to figure that out for myself. Um, so uh, that was the initial basis of NIF. Um, we really just were trying to make novel inhibitors for PCSK9. Okay. And um, and then uh, from that we started uh, realizing that a lot of the the kit that we were using. I mean, not to go back and forth, but the kit that we were using was was a a basis of um, an, an innovative basis from Dr. Lopez's mind. She's like a a well fueled scientific thinking machine. So she thinks of all these wild and crazy ideas and she throws them at us and says hey guys what do you think about this and we'll say well maybe if we move this here that and there and maybe it'll work let's try it and um and from that she realized you know you guys I think we have a kit like you know like I think we can actually make this like Mm -hmm. a kit and um and we just kept working with it and, and doing our experiments with it and it came into fruition but um NIF Technologies was actually a um a idea that we had for a novel inhibitor that we were making for PCSK9 for statin intolerant and statin resistant, um, or NIF itself for statin intolerant and statin resistant patients. Mm-hmm. And then we decided, you know, well, being that the basis of our company is going to be about PCSK9 research, we should we should keep it as NIF Technologies. So Dr. Lopez is the founder and owner of NIF Technologies, and um, and she said, you know, I like. Um, I like this name. I think I'm going to stick with it. Um, it. It really describes everything that we're doing. But um, but that was really where it, uh, where we I thought honestly that it was going to go. I thought it was just going to go in a drug development avenue, and lo and behold, it's gone into an assay, a diagnostic assay, and drug development because we're still doing research and development on different drugs. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. but the basis of our company funding for right now is the diagnostics kit. So, so I, I, that was actually anticipating my next question is what what kind of funding have you uh, received thus far to, to establish the company? Yeah, so we have um, funding support from NCBC, the North Carolina um, Biotechnology Center. Mm-hmm. And our, our, our friends. Yes. <laughs> and one of our major um, supporters is actually Quest Diagnostics. They're actually um, financially supporting us with um, the uh, optimization of the kit, which we've already finished, mm-hmm. um, and the the clinical validation of the kit, which we just recently finished and we're submitting now for publication. Um, and they've been supporting us with the um, with the intent to actually start to buy our kits and be the sole proprietor of our kits, the sole um, the sole buyer of our kits. Um, I I take it as they're trying to um, level the market with other diagnostics companies to where. Um, 
they provide this particular kit only and you have to go through them to get it but they're acquiring a lot of clinics um, all around the world so um, hopefully these kits can be utilized in a lot of these clinics all over the world and not just um, limited to North Carolina or limited to their um, their corporate hub in Pennsylvania Uh, and that's their goal and that's also our goal so being that we saw eye to eye on that we thought that this would be a great collaboration we were initially um, in collaboration with Authortech but they went out of business so um, one of the liaisons that we had there actually was um, became a advent member at Quest Diagnostics um, Dr. David Wren and he's been um, really great with pushing us um, into the right avenue to make sure that we forge this bond and this collaboration with Quest Diagnostics and um, and that we um, we provide them with exactly what they need and what they're asking of us and they're asking us for an efficient and effective and a cheap diagnostics test um, and I think that we've given it we've pre- produced what they have asked of us well that sounds very promising uh, has that deal closed is it so is we're it in the we're in the last lag of that um, that funding okay. um, that that's going to change your life once that goes through we're hoping <laughs> we're hopeful Indeed. we're hopeful we're hopeful that they're satisfied with what we've been able to produce for them we've worked really really hard to um, meet all the aims and initiatives that they've asked of us well how, w- how would you scale up to meet that demand um, we would actually need a, a another facility <laughs> right you can't just keep making it in the lab yeah right? we, we need more support staff and uh, more funding mm-hmm. and with um, hopefully with the success of um, of them and um, and their approval with our our diagnostics tests, um, we will gain more funding and be able to um, to increase our personnel and also create create um, a new space for ourselves so that we can meet the demands of them and other um, clinical um, entities that may um, be interested as well. So are you are you also looking to uh, as you say make new space? for continued lab work and yes. continued research yes well that that's wonderful yes uh well quantil we are out of time yes. believe it or not you made yes. it through a whole hour <laughs> uh it, it's been great having you thank on video you so much Vivo. it's very exciting what you're up to and i wish you and dr lopez the best of luck for continued success thank you so much NIF technologies thank you thank you guys for having us We've got some great guests lined up in the coming weeks here on Radio and Vivo. You can check the website, radioandvivo.net, or our Facebook site for our lineup of upcoming shows. Join us again next time for Radio and Vivo, your link to the Triangle Science community, right here on Volunteer Power, WCOM-FM, Carborough, and Chapel Hill. And if you enjoy the show, we ask that you support this station by visiting our website, wcomfm.org, and making a secure online contribution by clicking the Donate Now button. We rely on listener support to help keep your voice in the community on the air. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.